Well, I believe it was three weeks ago, I uh, preached a message on unforgiveness and bitterness, and, and uh, I, I felt like the Lord wanted me to continue that theme today. I didn't necessarily intend for that to turn into a, a series at all, um, and I don't think I'm going to go beyond this week, but I've learned to not to predict those things, because as soon as I say something like that, the Lord says, uh, you shouldn't open your mouth, because I have more in mind for you on that topic, so uh, I've learned not to make any predictions along those lines, but I, I did feel strongly that the Lord wanted me to continue what I talked about three weeks ago, before we had Dr. King in, and then Mark and Julie shared one Sunday as well. So we're going to continue talking about... Uh, the issue of unforgiveness and bitterness today in this teaching that I'm calling Beauty for Ashes. Beauty for Ashes. So turn to our master text in Isaiah 61, if you would. Isaiah 61, which is just barely to the right of the very middle of your Bibles. Isaiah 61. And when you find that, stand up with me and let's honor the reading of God's holy and majestic word. It's only three verses, but it's kind of a long three verses. And this is a prophecy, by the way, about the coming Messiah. And it says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair that we will... Uh, that. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, if you would. Praise the Lord. Well, now, as I said, this is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And actually, Jesus, when his ministry first began, stood up in synagogue and read that passage and applied it to himself. Do you remember that? It was fulfilled through Jesus. So this passage is a prophecy about the coming Messiah that through his redemptive work and forgiveness, he would provide beauty in the place of ashes and the oil of joy to replace that spirit of despair over our sins. And what a wonderful message that is. Folks, there's hope for my wretchedness and yours. And that hope is in Jesus Christ. But there's more to it than even that. You see, as it pertains to our topic today, when we can learn to have a different perspective regarding the bad things people do to us, and that's only possible through Christ and his word, by the way, that it helps set us free from that oppressive spirit of bitterness that can literally overtake our lives. There can be beauty for ashes in our broken relationships. One example of that in the scriptures is that of Joseph. And you remember his brothers sold him into slavery and he spent many years in slavery in Egypt. And by the hand of God, Joseph later rose to power in the very place where he had once been a slave. It's a beautiful picture. 
And then one day, his brothers, who again had, a, had formerly sold him into slavery many years before, one day they stood before him after he rose to that place of power. And they stood before him as broken and needy men. And then, it was then, after a rush of emotions, that Joseph forgave his brothers and spoke words of comfort to them. If, we, if you read in Genesis 45, you see that Joseph told his brothers to not be angry with themselves for what they had done. Because while what they had done was meant for evil, God had turned it around for a great good. And that's the perspective that I want us to consider today. You see, in hindsight, Joseph discovered that what had been meant to destroy him was the very thing that God then turned around and used to propel him to a place where he would exercise his position of power to help countless people survive a terrible famine. See, God had brought about beauty in the place of Joseph's ashes. And that work was brought to its climax, by the way, when Joseph's heart was set free from offense and he forgave his brothers. So we need to understand what might be going on behind the scenes when life seems to begin to unravel before us. I want to say that again. We need to take a step back, take a deep breath, and consider what might be going on behind the scenes in the spirit realm when life seems to unravel before us. See, if you respond correctly, as Joseph did, your current pain can propel you to your greatest gain. I don't think you got that. If we respond correctly when life seems to unravel, your greatest pain and mine can propel us to our greatest gains. As it did in Joseph's life. Praise God. I love the way the Lord works. Now, I want to talk about some perspectives to help defeat bitterness. Because, you see, while we may already know what the Bible says about living free of bitterness, we probably all heard messages like this before. So while we may already know it's important to forgive and be free of bitterness, there may be some question marks about how to actually go about doing that in a practical sense. So that's what we're going to explore today. So the first principle in helping to rid yourself of bitterness and unforgiveness is a very important foundational principle, and it's that we need to realize that God is the judge. Realize that God is the judge. I want to read to you from James 4, verses 11 and 12. You know the book of James. You know, James is a, just a real no-nonsense guy. He doesn't beat around the bush. He just tells it like it is and hits you right between the eyes. And that's kind of what these two verses, 11 and 12 in James 4, do. So let's read this. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. And if you judge the law, you're not a practitioner of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Mm. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's, let's elaborate on this point. Recall that David, young David, once had a chance to kill King Saul who hunted David with the intent to murder him. He'd been on the run in the wilderness for years. 
trying to escape King Saul's murderous intentions. But twice, it seemed that as though that God had put King Saul in David's hands and he had had a chance to kill him and, and end his life as a fugitive, end his own life as a fugitive by killing King Saul. But on both of those occasions, he refused to do it. He refused to kill King Saul. Why was that? Why did he refuse to kill him and end his life as a fugitive? Well, because, folks, David um, was placing that situation in God's hands. He was, he was allowing God to judge that situation, you see. Because David knew that his own judgment would be inadequate. I want to say that again. David knew that his own judgment would be inadequate. But God's judgment is always perfect. So he was submitting the matter to God's judgment. Now, I've judged people before. Am I in good company? Has anybody else in the room judged anybody? <laughs> I've judged people before only to learn more details later. <laughs> and I discovered that I'd been too harsh in my judgment toward them. For example, there's been times when I just wanted to write someone off after some very rude behavior, um, only to learn later that that person had a terrible heart wound that had been inflicted by a parent or an ex-spouse, and that heart wound has made them overly sensitive and reactionary. Now, that doesn't excuse the behavior, but it certainly does explain it. Do you see what I mean? On that note, let me give you the second principle here in helping you to overcome bitterness and resentment. Number two, everything that happens to you works toward your good if you love Christ. During our ministry time there in worship, I actually quoted this verse, Romans 8.28. It certainly applies to this teaching today as well. So let's go ahead and read that together. We know... That all things, not some, all things work together for the good of those who love God. Those who are called according to his purpose. You mean all the junk going on in my family can work toward my good? You know, Donna and I were discussing this morning on the way to church how, how it's very interesting to watch how some people respond to family drama and family upheaval. Sometimes it destroys people. There's some people that just destroys them and just seems to cripple them throughout the rest of their life. There's other people, though, it seems to make them stronger and seems to give them perspective. See, if you love God and are called according to his purpose, God can use what the devil meant to destroy you and use it to refine you. Praise God. See, once again, what Satan meant to destroy you, God will use to forge your character and your destiny, as well as using you then to help other people. For example, <clears throat> I can look back on some of the injuries inflicted on me by people in the past and, and actually be thankful for them now, because in hindsight, I know that they've given me perspective They've given me wisdom. They helped me to know what not to do going forward. And they've given me insights that have helped other people in similar situations that I cross paths with. Praise God. You know, when my children were wronged by someone growing up, I always told them, remember how this situation made you feel. 
I want you to just bask in these negative feelings that you have right now, the hurt that you're feeling right now. Just take a minute to bask in that so you'll always remember how this situation made you feel and don't ever repeat that kind of behavior towards someone else, but use this evil that's been done to you to help you know how to treat others. God can always use whatever happens to you to benefit you and other people if you respond correctly. Praise God. All right. I'm going to read James 1, 2 through 4 to you. This is a very familiar verse. We quote it all the time. But it just seems to pertain so well to so many different topics. So let's quote it to you again. Uh, Read it together. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I have a picture of uh, someone, uh, a young uh, soldier in boot camp right there, uh, going through an obstacle course. In that particular case, he's crawling on his belly through water with a grimaced look on his face there. And you know why the military puts people through these grimacing Uh, training regimes in in boot camp is to prepare them for some of the conflicts that they could face later on. Okay, So they push them beyond where they would ever want to go on their own. Because, folks, there's something about difficulties that makes us stronger. I know you didn't want to hear that. There's something about difficulties that makes us stronger while prolonged, you won't like this one either, uh, while prolonged comforts tends to make us lazy and soft. (laughs) Woo, what an exciting message this is this morning. Praise God. In athletics, for example, you you can read about how to shoot a basketball. But until you actually go out on the court and begin practicing, you're never going to master that skill. So while we may know what the Bible says about forgiveness, folks, you will never be able to master forgiveness until we have a chance to exercise it. What's that mean? It means there's going to be people that hurt you and offend you. And you're going to have to exercise what you've been learning in the Bible in the real world. The Bible isn't there just for your knowledge. It's there for your application. You'll have to apply what you read there. You know, C.S. Lewis once said that everyone believes that forgiveness is a great idea until they have something to forgive. Did you get that? Let me say that again. C.S. Lewis said... Everyone thinks that forgiveness is a great idea until they have something to forgive. You know, basketball season just started for my son, Drew, and and he was really sore after that first team practice. Now, he was diligent to practice on his own over the summer, but he didn't practice as intensely as his coaches are making him practice now. Uh, And those practices uh, are forcing him to push his body beyond where he would ever make himself go on his own. Now, 
My point in sharing that is that sometimes God will allow you and me to be in situations that push us beyond where we would ever have allowed ourselves to go on our own. God will kick you out of the nest sometimes. God will stretch you. God will pull you out of your comfort zone sometimes because he wants you to grow. I told you the story about how when I first felt like that God had called me to pastor, I was petrified of public speaking. I mean, seriously, I mean, it was like a phobia. It was, it was a phobia. And when I felt like God was calling me to, to pastor, I'm like, uh, what? And so the first thing that I did was like I enrolled in a Toastmasters class so I could at least get a little bit of practice. Um, you know, speaking in front of people, but even doing that, I had to wear black pants in case I peed on myself. It was so bad. You know, it was, it was bad. It got really bad. So God will require you, you know, he will nudge you out of the nest and cause you to be in situations that are uncomfortable for you because he wants you to grow. Hallelujah. Now, on that note, I want to say something to you parents You know, I know it's our tendency to want to shelter our children from pain and sometimes even shelter them from discomforts of any kind sometimes. But folks, discomfort is part of the learning experience in life. Without discomfort, we never develop any emotional or spiritual intelligence. I want to say that again. Without some discomfort... We never develop any emotional or spiritual intelligence. I've told you before about that uh, little redhead kid that used to, to play um, that part in the, the Partridge family with Danny. Yeah, his, his real name is Danny Bonaduce, right? Um, I never watched that show. Did he actually, was his name Danny in the show too? Okay, Danny Bonaduce is his, his, his real name. And I read an interesting article written by his ex-wife. I've told you this before, but it bears repeating for this teaching today. And it was so interesting, I I took notice of, of what she said. She said that psychologists have proven that at whatever age a person becomes rich and famous, they kind of stay that age psychologically and emotionally for the rest of their lives. And Dana Bataduce Uh, became rich and famous at about, what, 12 years of age, something like that. So here she was married to a grown man who emotionally was about a 12-year-old. And he just was not a very mature individual at all. Because why? Because once you get rich and famous, you get everybody catering to you, you get everything you want all the time, Never, you don't ever have anybody telling you no, you don't ever have anybody resisting you too much. Um, just life is just really, really smooth from that point forward. And so there's never any challenges too much that cause you to grow, that cause you to grow some emotional and spiritual intelligence. Does that make sense? So then I want you to remember this right here. This is not in your notes. So if you want to take a screenshot of this or a picture on your phone or something. But this is really an important um, principle right here. Each pain makes you stronger. Each betrayal, more intelligent. Every disappointment, more skillful. And each experience, wiser. I'm going to say that again. Each pain makes you stronger. Each betrayal, more intelligent. 
every disappointment more skillful and each experience wiser. That is absolutely true. People that betray you, hurt you, walk out on you, treat you badly, talk about you, the difficult and unfortunate experiences that you have while they're painful do give you perspective and do give you wisdom that you wouldn't have had before. You agree with that? All right. Here's the next principle in overcoming bitterness and resentment in your life. Pray for the person who hurt you. Now, this is a biblical principle. I'm going to read a little bit of a lengthy passage here out of Luke chapter 6, the words of the Master Jesus. But to those of you who will listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Verse 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do, that, do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Verse 36, but... Love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them, expecting nothing in return. Wow. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Yeah, he's even kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Uh, Verse 36, be merciful then, just as your Father is merciful. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Just as He has shown you mercy time and time and time again, show others the same kind of mercy. You know, I heard it once said that that when it comes to examining our own faults and our own motives, you know, we like to give ourselves a pass Because, well, you know, I know that that was out of character for me. I'm not usually like that. I just had had an outburst, but I'm not usually like that. So, you know, gosh, you ought to forgive me. But when it comes to other people and their bad behavior toward you, we want to just write them off and judge them. And you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's the way human nature is. But pray for those who mistreat you. Because here's the, here's the principle, folks. It's difficult to hate a person uh, that you're praying for. It's difficult to hate or judge a person that you're praying for. It becomes less and less difficult to forgive them when you're continuing to pray for them. Hallelujah. All right, fourth principle. Forgiveness is an action word. Forgiveness isn't just something you talk about. The Bible says that let your love be shown in your action and your deeds, not just your words. All right? Now, in Proverbs 14, 9, this is not a commonly quote verse, uh, quoted verse, but it's certainly one that, that has a lot of weight to it. And it says this, Fools mock the making of amends. But goodwill is found among the upright. What's that mean? It means a fool will make fun of trying to make amends with someone who they've had problems with. Uh, Are you kidding me? 
I'm, I'm not going to approach that person again. Are you, are you crazy? Look what they did. Look what they said. I'm not going to try to build any bridges with them. That's, that's a fool. Fool does that. Fools mock the making of amends, but goodwill is found among the upright, Proverbs 14, 9. And then Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, why does it say, as far as it depends on you? Because not everyone is going to want to be at peace with you. So we have to acknowledge that, that you may try to make peace with someone who has no interest in making peace with you. And if that's the case, okay, fine. Well, at least you've done your part. Your conscience is clear. But as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, folks, listen, if you, as you've heard me talk about before, forgiveness doesn't necessarily always mean reconciliation. But if you can reconcile, by all means do. As far as it depends on you, make peace with everyone. Okay, we're zipping through these principles. Number five, look in the mirror first. A good way to overcome bitterness and resentment against people is look in the mirror first. See, I'm going to give you a couple of things here that are not in your notes, but such important principles. Realize that for every time you've been hurt by someone, You've probably hurt others too and need forgiveness. And you probably will again. Let me just let that sink in for a second. Don't want to move too quickly past that one. In fact, let me read it again. Realize that for every time you've been hurt by someone, you've probably hurt others too and need forgiveness. And you probably will again at some point. Praise the Lord. Now I'm going to give you the words of uh, Thomas Akempis right now, who was the 14th century German monk who wrote the book, uh, The Imitation of Christ, which I quote from time to time. And he is like James. Man, he just like puts it out there and just gives you, <laughs> like pummels you with principles and statements, just these single statements sometimes that like rock your world. And here's one right here. What can you say, wicked sinner? It's not talking about people outside the church. It's talking about just the, the condition of mankind at large. What can you say, wicked sinner, to those who rebuke you when you have so often offended God and so many times deserved hell? Yeah, I thought that's the effect that that quote would have. You can hear a pin drop right now. What can you say, wicked sinner, to those who rebuke you when you have so often offended God and so many times deserved hell? Folks, it would probably be good if we simply prepare to endure adversities and, and being wronged in some way. It probably would be good if we prepare to... Um, prepare for those kind of adversities and difficulties in life because honestly, that's the way it's going to be no matter where you go and no matter where you try to hide yourself. In fact, listen, the development of our spiritual condition does not so much lie in our comforts and delights, but rather in enduring bravely and graciously through our tribulations. 
Going back again to James 1, 2 through 4, consider it all joy, my beloved brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And let perseverance have its complete work, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Not, that, that's the goal, not lacking in anything. Consider it all Joy. That's why we should consider it all joy, because we know that by doing so, by enduring graciously and bravely through our tribulations, we can get to the point where we don't lack anything from a spiritual, emotional, and character perspective. Isn't that good news? Praise God. All right. The sixth principle for overcoming bitterness and resentment is realize that bitterness is poison. Realize that bitterness is poison. Understand that bitterness, folks, does nothing to the person who hurt you, but it does do great damage to the one holding on to it. See, we can't move forward in our, in our lives or our walks with Christ if we're holding on to bitterness. It dulls our spiritual sensitivity and stalls the anointing in our lives. And... It can also possibly affect other relationships. See, if you want your marriage to be negatively affected, for example, just hold on to all the bitterness that you have for other people because it will have a bleed-over effect into your marriage and to other relationships. I've seen it happen. That's why it's often been said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison hoping the other person will die. That is so true. You see, we must model our lives after our example, Jesus, who is the epitome of forgiveness. Even to the point of asking the Father to forgive those who crucified him as he hung there in agony on the cross. Mm. He's my hero. Now, I want to transition here and introduce you to a couple of movies. You're looking at the movie uh, posters there on the screen. Uh, two related movies, the movie Unbroken. I'm going to describe uh, these in a moment. And then the, the follow-up movie to that, Unbroken, uh, The Path to Redemption. Uh, and I would encourage you to watch both of these movies. Okay? The movie is about, uh, it's a true story about Louis Zamperini who was a long-distance runner, and he was training for the Olympics when World War II broke out. And uh, he enlisted in the Air Force and then eventually found himself in a Japanese concentration camp where he was subjected to unbelievable cruelties. But he survived to see the war's end and his release from that terrible camp. But then his battle was just beginning at that point. Getting back to normal life in the States, he uh, married and began raising a family, but the effects of post-traumatic stress syndrome and the anger and resentment that accompanied the memories of those Japanese cruelties began to take its toll. In order to try to cope with his anxiety, he turned to alcohol and his life began to spiral out of control. Zamperini's personal demons soon threatened to destroy his marriage until one day he heard the stirring words of the Reverend Billy Graham in 1949. 
Embracing his newfound Christian faith, Louis Zamperini began uh, the journey of turning his life around and learning to forgive his former tormentors and spreading the message of love and forgiveness through Christ. Uh, he later even sought out those Japanese officers who had treated him so cruelly so that he could offer them forgiveness face to face. Amazing. Well, the point that I want to make by telling you the short version of that story is that if someone like Louis Zamperini can forgive some of the terrible cruelties done to him, cannot you and I forgive some of the much smaller things done to us? But there's a second point to this story which forms the foundation of the teaching this morning, and that's this. Louis Zamperini found that bitterness almost destroyed him. And freedom, real freedom, can only come, it only came in his case when he learned to truly forgive. Now, I'm going to leave us with an important perspective here. This will be my, my, my closing scripture. And I'm asking the question there on, the, on that title slide, an impossible standard? Because that's kind of what this looks like. Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came to him, meaning Jesus. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, the point that I want to make in, in sharing this is that there's no way you and I can forgive like Jesus forgave on our own. There's no way that you and I can forgive like Jesus forgave on our own. It's too heavy of a weight to lift. The fact that Jesus calls us to forgive 70 times 7, which is a figurative number for endlessly, forgive endlessly, is what he was saying. The reason that he calls us to do that, see, is because it shines the spotlight on our own shortcomings. It magnifies our own sin. The fact that there's no way that we can just flip a switch in our hearts and forgive to that extent like Jesus did. And folks, that's kind of the point. See, because when we recognize our own failings, we can more easily then understand our own need for grace and call on the name of the Lord in repentance. Hallelujah. You see, when Jesus taught to forgive endlessly, you got to get this right here. When Jesus taught us to forgive endlessly, he was pushing the standard way out beyond human performance. You got to get that. I'm going to say that again. When Jesus taught us to forgive endlessly, he was on purpose pushing the standard way out beyond our human performance. See, you can't do this. I can't do this. But Christ Jesus, through us, when we submit to him, can do this. Hallelujah. And when we can learn to have his perspective toward those who've hurt us, then the words of Scripture come gloriously alive in us that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Praise God. That was true of Louis Zamperini. 
And that was true of Corrie ten Broom when she forgave her German oppressors who murdered her entire family and held her in a Nazi concentration camp in World War II. The same freedom that Louis Zamperini experienced and the same freedom that Corey Ten Boom experienced can be true of you and it can be true of me. And that's what we're striving toward. So I want to end with a quote by Corey Ten Boom. She says this, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover the prisoner was you. Mm. It's then when we can exercise that kind of forgiveness, when true, heartfelt forgiveness is offered, not just words. When true, heartfelt forgiveness is offered, then, it's then that we will experience beauty for ashes. Would you stand and pray with me, please? We actually did what I'm about to do um, the last time that I taught about this, which was only, what, three weeks ago. But one of the things that I've noticed about this particular topic is that it always needs revisiting. Sometimes frequently. You can make a mental decision to forgive someone, but then still be a prisoner in your heart toward that person or with that bitterness. And sometimes we need to revisit this because there's new people that come into your life that hurt you and offend you all over again. So you get to take a, a test and a retest and another retest and another retest many, many times throughout the course of your life. And so that's why we need to revisit this. Some of you that have been around for a while Maybe you were, you could preach this sermon that I preached this morning. You know this so well that mentally you could have preached this sermon this morning. But there's so often that we often don't do what we know. And that's true of me too. You know, the Lord dealt with me about a couple of people while I was preparing this message. So what we're going to do, just close your eyes right now and uh, forgive me for kind of the repeat of what we did three weeks ago. But once again, I just feel like the Holy Spirit is, is not done dealing with this in some people's lives, probably all of our lives. And I'm just going to ask, ask you to have a, a little quiet conversation between you and the Holy Spirit. And if you ask him, he will tell you who it is that you need to deal with in your heart right now. And dealing with someone isn't always even necessarily going to, that, to them. Sometimes it does involve that, but not always. Sometimes you just have to get the issue worked out in your own heart. But the Holy Spirit will also give you instructions if you do need to go to somebody and talk some things out. Sometimes that's very healing. Just lay the cards out on the table. Sometimes that's very healing. But folks, you gotta lay the anger down at the feet of Jesus. You gotta 
lay the resentment down at the feet of Jesus. The Bible says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Folks, as, as you're listening to the Holy Spirit right now, I just I want to say this to you. Your body, your mind, and your spirit were not designed to carry the load of bitterness and resentment toward people. God didn't make us that way. Our bodies, our minds, our emotions were not designed to carry that kind of load. Jesus said, cast it upon him. And if you're living in a house with someone who's continually causing you to be angry and resentful, this may be something that you have to deal with on a pretty regular basis. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. Let him deal with that other person while he also deals with you. Because you know what? That other person that did those things to you is a broken person in need of God's grace. And I believe that that's the kind of the exclamation mark upon this time together this morning that we need to see these people through the eyes of Jesus because we were once there too. They're broken people with broken lives and unhappy people have a habit of making the other people around them unhappy. They need our grace and our prayers, folks, not our judgment and our hate and our ridicule. As tough as an order as that is. All right, I'm going to stop talking now and just let you have a, a little, just a brief moment or two. Just a conversation between you and the Holy Spirit. Ask him who it is. You probably already know anyway. But sometimes there's some people that you have bitterness and resentment against. You didn't even realize you were still holding on to that. But the Holy Spirit will bring that to the surface during times like this. And then ask him if there's anything that you need to do in bringing some reconciliation or if that's just needed, needs to be something between you and the Lord. So go ahead. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.